On today's episode, we're going to talk about Achilles tendon injuries and rehab. When and how can we conservatively treat these? What does surgical intervention and rehab look like today? And how do we determine when people are ready to go back to regular everyday activities and eventually returning to sports? Let's go. Welcome to the Sports Rehab Lab Podcast, where you'll hear real talk from real clinicians who treat real sports patients. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sports Rehab Lab. Today we got our full crew with us, Terrence Scroy, Pavignona, Robbie Andrews, Billy Maroney, Jamie Osmack, and myself, Snape Patel. And uh, we were looking back at all the weekly podcasts that we've been doing, and we kind of realized we haven't done one podcast on anything foot and ankle. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't omit that part of the body, and we definitely wanted to remedy that today with the topic today. So today we're going to be talking about Achilles tendon injuries and more specifically post-op rehab of Achilles tendon repairs. So kind of like how they, how they happen, if there's conservative treatment, you know, what we're going to do for rehab after surgery and also general problems we see with this population as well. So, you know, Terrence, I know with the abundance of lower extremity and foot people you see, you would like to start off with this, but I thought we'd ask Pat instead to start off with this one. Uh, since he does see a lot of these Achilles injuries in sports. So, Pat, I know you've seen a lot of this uh, with soccer. You know, I've I've seen a lot of it with basketball in the last few years especially. But, you know, how do you see this injury usually happening in athletes, like in soccer, lacrosse? What do you see mostly happening with these people? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 no mystery on, on, on how these happen. You know, it's a rapid decel followed by, followed by a rapid... You know, acceleration, so either change of direction, change of speed, um, and almost <clears throat> every single time it's the same story you hear. You feel like someone hits you in the back of the leg with a bat, and you turn around, and there's no one there, and you realize that your um, Achilles is not no longer attached or present. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty pretty consistent around the across the board. Um, it could happen landing. Uh, I think that it happens more with the rapid decel or any type of plyometric move. Um, definitely seen a lot more of them in the last couple of years. Obviously, we see them in the higher level sports, but I feel like I've seen more or we have all seen more with the introduction of of pickleball or the, the paddle, whatever they, whatever they call that stuff now. Um, I mean, you guys probably agree right don't you don't you feel like you've seen so many more achilles in the last two or three years i'm I'm good for one a year um but what what do you think so forget about just like the full-blown like obvious achilles rupture how about like the partial achilles and i've seen a couple of these in actually baseball um partial achilles injuries what do you think the threshold is like billy how, how would you guide a patient or any athlete of any level coming in say they had like a I don't know, 50%, you know, partial tear of their Achilles um, functioning. Okay. You know, obviously they haven't gotten back to running it, but how would you guide a patient like that? And what would your 
uh, initial treatment process be with with a patient like that? I think some of it definitely depends on activity level or level of uh, sport, depending on where they are with it. If they're a, an adult athlete, we know even in a full Achilles rupture. What is that's happening? Sometime. What is happening in the background? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Pat's got some kind of chime thing going. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but he's got something <laughs> yes. going on at that. What is happening in that? that he gets oh, muted. So he's fucking living room, yeah, dude. Is. Pat, you're playing, or is that a that Fisher my... Price xylophone you're playing at is nine that your p.m.? <clears throat> your smart oh stove. My God. Cookies are done. I like it. I don't know what this is about. Uh, the, new, the new wolf chime. Right? Yeah, on, on, on the I didn't have that on my registry, but I like it. Yeah. 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 It's nice. All right. That's so, nice. anyway, back back to our uh, surgical versus non surgical. Uh, so, how would you uh, guide that patient, Billy? Yeah. I was, was going to say, I think a lot of it comes down to like level of competition, level of activity, and, and what their expected outcome is. We know, even with like full Achilles ruptures, that if the kind of uh, braced up early and put in a boot earlier and whatnot, like they can be successful with non-surgical management, but you're typically not going to see that in a pro athlete, right? So this is the older individual who they want to get back to a certain level of function. If you lose a little bit of strength, you're probably still going to be successful in that case. So um, in, in those that have a partial, you'd imagine it'd be treated the same way. I don't know if you guys can comment on more. I would imagine an impartial and a high level athlete, um, if it's more than a certain amount, you're probably still going to get it done. But I wonder now if you guys know if, if there's a role for other intermediate options such as PRP and like a splinting protocol or PRP embracing. I'm not sure if you guys have heard much about that, but I think more often than not, if, it, if it's really torn and you're an athlete, you're probably going to get it done. If it's a partial or a, a tear in a, a non-athlete, older individual with limited outco- uh, limited expectations kind of going back, just recreational sports, there may be a role for conservative management. So I'm not sure what yeah, you guys I mean, think on that, if there's an intermediate step there. We saw one a couple of years ago who successfully returned to baseball post-Achilles, non-surgical, uh, moderate tear, uh, since resigned from baseball, but not from his Achilles, but is able to fu- was able to fully return with that and do all his PFPs and, and sprinting and running that he had to do. Um, not He was probably an outlier because, yes, I agree. I think that... You know, for the most part, if someone has a high-grade tear, they're going to be moderately symptomatic. There's some degree of performance decline because of that, and, you know, you're probably going to go ahead and have it done. Uh, but, yeah, he splinted, um, shockwave, I believe, a couple PRPs, staged PRPs, and then a pretty conservative uh, progression, but able to fully return, which was uh, – honestly, I wasn't too optimistic early on. Um but it was just, you know, like we talked about in other pods, just constant communication between, you know, the staff and the physicians and making sure that progress is trending positive each week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was able to, but I'm sure it's definitely not the case for for everybody. I'm sure if he's going back to, you know, an extremely ballistic sport like basketball, Snayas probably would have been someone that would have headed to the OR a little earlier. But so yeah, I seen, guess I, I've actually seen that like this past year, there was a high level uh NBA player who had more of like a, a stress reaction there, Achilles. And I think, you know, the the aspect now is, you know, nobody wants to pull, you know, I'm sorry to say, but nobody wants to pull a Kevin Durant, you know, where it's like, all right, you know, uh, this person obviously injured their Achilles in like a high level game. And, you know, it wasn't fully able to go, but, you know, like it, he showed all the signs and symptoms that, okay, you can go. And, you know, unfortunately he tore it. So, 
seen a couple of cases in the league this year where it's been the same kind of thing where an Achilles injury is happening and you know they're more likely to shut that player down for an elongated time and you know even when the metrics you know you test them and they show good strength and everything they still very much ramp them up very slowly and I think that's a part of the team a part of you know the agent and the player you know they they don't want to go through this elaborate rehab process you know to get it prepared and be out for a year and stuff so I, I think it you know it goes either way like I think you can conservatively rehab it but you know I do agree like if you have a moderate to a more moderate tear it's like you know I feel eventually you have to get this repaired to kind of go through with it so if we go back to our uh, other huge subset of patients that we have and, and athletes at that our 65-year-old CEO going out to the Hamptons on the weekend, um, gets off the, the plane, uh, the seaplane from you know 10 miles away on the Lower East Side and decides to go out to their backyard, hits tennis court, and pop. Achilles goes. So patients like that are, yeah, like Pat was alluding to, the pickleball injuries where it's the sudden – you know, blow and rupture. So as far as realistic out or realistic expectations, I feel like a lot of patients don't necessarily necessarily get realistic expectations for recovery from um, their entire providing team. So what would you say, uh, Pat, to a patient that comes into you again, same thing, like uh, middle-aged male, female looking that it ruptured their Achilles looking to get back, you know, when, what kind of timeframes and milestones do you give them? Uh, so I would say that, uh, getting back to like normal life, uh, I think you're looking at like three to four months, meaning like being able to walk, being able to kind of get back in the gym, maybe being able to like get on back on the Peloton or things like that. But as far as like getting back to the tennis, uh, pickleball type of activities, I mean, I I try to, I've, I've learned and we've all learned to never overpromise. Uh, you kind of underpromise the time. I like to say, you know, anywhere from 10 months to a year to be back to normal pre pre injury competitive level. Um, and if it happens before that, fantastic. If it doesn't, then I mean, typically, I think a year is a pretty safe, pretty safe number to say. Um, but with that said, you got to kind of read them the riot act early on. And in regards to that, it's, it's not just time, and it's going to take a, a considerate amount of effort and compliance with um, their own rehab and their own uh, avoiding things that will, will aggravate it. Um, and it's not going to be easy. It's never, uh, it's always going to be hard. The things that you do, it's always, it's going to feel, it's going to feel <clears throat> much harder than, than you may think it is. And you're not a, you know, 20, 29 year old professional athlete. Um, and they don't like to hear that, but that's, that's just the reality of it. What do you guys see nowadays with like, you know, like general weight bearing progression and, and really more than anything else, like, you know, we see a lot of, a lot of physician protocols out there that, you know, of course there's no one particular protocol you got to go with, but you know, what do you see with range of motion progression, using the wedge in the, in the boot, things kind of like that, you know, Robbie, I've seen you. You know, you, you've had a, a good caseload of Achilles ruptures and reconstructions. I don't know why they're migrating all to you. Maybe because we make you see all the feet that come in. But you know, what, what do you, you you've seen quite a bit? And you know, I know you come to us to be like, hey, you know, what does this surgeon do with the boot? What about that surgeon? Like, 
you know, what have you seen for like weight bearing protocols and just progression of range of motion early on? Yeah, I think it's still pretty variable. I think, uh, physician to physician, um, <clears throat> I think more starting to go, starting to see more on the early weight bearing side of that. Um, you know, maybe a brief period in the beginning of non weight bearing, but then they get them in the boot and they have them somewhat partial weight bearing early on. Um, I think with the goal of being, you know, really in a shoe by, by eight weeks. Um, but I think even sometimes before that as well, um, you know, regarding the wedge, I think once they're hundred percent weight bearing, normally they'll have about typically two wedges in there. Um, and then once they're hundred percent weight bearing, it's, we're just gradually, you know, ramping down, uh, maybe a week of one wedge week of none, and then starting to get them into the shoe. Um, so I think you're starting to see more of that more early weight bearing again, normal shoe by eight weeks, probably at the latest. Um, and I think regarding range of motion, uh, some, some doctors are letting him go active dorsiflexion up to zero fairly early on. I think I'm starting to see more of there's trying to like wean them all, trying to keep them a little tighter, a little stiffer. So they're keeping them maybe five degrees away from neutral for, you know, even upwards of six, eight weeks. Um, and I think from what I've been seeing, I think that's, seems a little bit more promising. I think keeping them stiff early on um, kind of helps out. I think the tendon is able to develop a little bit of a, a stiffness and some good tension there. And then just once they start, you know, kind of, you know, we start maybe gradually stretching with the knee, uh, dorsiflexion with the knee bent gently around six weeks uh, with the, you know, the hope that once they're at eight weeks, they can tolerate a little bit more um, of a stretch in the posterior side with the knee bent. This way when they, you know, when they're walking, they can tolerate that, um, you know, that, that lengthened position. So still trying to stay tight for the most part, but I think you need to create a little bit of length. This way they're able to walk semi-normal around that eight week mark. Is there anything you've seen the doctors start asking for early on? I know, you know, since working uh, at HSS, I've seen more and more doctors ask for, for this, but for those of you that see these more often, what, what are they asking for now? I think more. And I mean, for sure. Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I was gonna say for BFR, yeah. at least at, at the very, you know, at the very least, I think, um, yeah. you know, early on, if they're coming in a week or two after surgery, we're not doing much anyway. So I think, you know, we do a ton of BFR, even straight leg raises, longer quads, um, you know, different table exercises just to prevent as much atrophy as we can in the lower body. But I don't know if you got anything on that, Pat. No, I was going to say I'm starting at week after uh, week two, usually it's, it's straight leg raises, uh, long arc quads, and even like some active ankle pumps uh, with, you know, seated off the table with um, avoiding uh, going past, past neutral, which uh, is back to what you were asking about before with the, um, with the post-op protocols. I think this is probably the most uh, controversial, meaning there's so much variability amongst surgeon to surgeon, even surgeons in the same practice. Um, so it's, it, it, there's a, a wide variety of, uh, post-op guidelines, protocols out there. Uh, when you're talking about like the tightness and maintaining that tightness in the Achilles, I couldn't agree more. Um, but I think that a lost, a thing that gets lost on the, 
in this rehab is, you know, you don't have to stretch the Achilles to do ankle mobilizations. And I think when, with the ankle being um, almost neglected, I think that's one of the things I do a significant amount of uh, early on, uh, you know, forefoot mobs, telcro mobs in, in all planes. And I've found that to be uh, very uh, successful and it has definitely helped, especially at the pro level. Uh, when you do start stretching out that Achilles, it, it, the, the dorsiflexion does come back much faster when you when you pay a good amount of time, good amount of attention with your hands on their feet. I mean, no one wants to do it, but, you know, grab that foot, mobilize it, tickle the bottom of that foot a little bit, make them laugh, and you can go from there. That's all you do? Fascia, fascia <laughs> work. Charm. I don't know about the tickling part. That's, yeah, that's, that's a little that's bit. That's the fascia work. Part. That's that's bad, but yeah, I mean, to your point, even just like lacrosse ball, trigger point ball, bottom of the foot. I mean, that fascia from the Achilles wraps around the back and the bottom of the foot, and it's all, it's all one. So something they can do early on, to your point, is a lot of that fascia work on the bottom of the foot, for sure, just to help keep it loose. And and I completely agree with with not passively stretching and not trying to force. I mean, I in twenty years, I haven't seen one ankle patient not get their motion back right i mean have you guys have you seen yes i have one right now actually same clearly terrence sees a lot of these <laughs> so you, you have one in 20 years <laughs> no and that's, i'm just saying i have one, i just said i have one right now but this is right, her second say, Achilles. The majority of yours are getting stiff. Maybe we should uh, rethink your treatment techniques. This, this you know? was a, a failed rehab elsewhere. This is me taking over for somebody. All right. Mm -hmm. so it, was one of these, it was fine when she left kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, also, too, with uh, with what Pat was just saying, as far as like, you know, forefoot mobs and, and towel curl joint, I think the, the big toe is super important on that, too. I think those are like three things that, I mean, we talk about this a lot, but, you know, three things that, go kind of lost uh along the way very uh, very often you know they're not really obviously their gates altered for several weeks so they don't really ever get into that first toe extension um so once they start getting into the shoe it's just another thing you know they start to kind of veer off to the side of the foot when they're pushing off they're not really staying on the inside they're not using that medial gas rock. um so it's just i think another thing that you know we, we talk about a lot but uh, it's easy to overlook, but super important. Uh, if you can nail it down early to, to kind of keep things moving. All right. So now that now they're in the shoe, what is your heel raise progression for them? So how do you get them from double to single leg heel raises and progress to single leg activities? What, what what kind of time frames are you looking at, Billy? I mean, I, I learned a lot of this from Pat too. I think we start early if possible and, and put them in like the most shortened position they can be in. So seated off the side of the table, usually either a wedge. So you can take the, the post-operative wedges if you have an extra pair of them out of the boot and use those for a guide, or you can roll up a towel, put it under the heel, and just start with submax isometrics. Um, so that's in a bent knee position. Eventually progressing, again, you're trying to not progress length and contractile ability a ton at the same time. So we usually want to keep them in a more shortened position and then work the length and positions. So what would what so you start in that? Well, I'll just start at submax with BFR too. So, so just submax isos, throw the BFR on, so you're getting a little more bang for your buck. Um, going sets of that, and then progressing to seated calf raise variations, where again you're limiting the the depth of motion. You're not going into the the dorsiflexion range of motion a ton, um, and then eventually progressing up to a standing position, and that can be in a or first you can go leg press if you want to, or you can do like a supported standing position, whether that's uh, 
with some sort of upper extremity support, leaning on a table, some sort of standing position. So now you're getting length across both the knee and the ankle. And then progressing to two legs up, one leg down, single leg, and kind of going through your progression there. But I think the big thing is, is limiting the arc of motion first. So you're not getting a ton of length through the system. You're not over elongating. And then just adjusting body weight in however way you, you like to do it, whether it's inclined, like, again, on a leg press or, or some sort of upper extremity support and going from two legs to one leg. Is there a certain time frame you want to see them able to do a double leg heel raise or single leg heel raise by? I'll defer to Robbie because he's had most of these recently. But I think, like, as you go through the weight-bearing progression, I mean, you should be able to do a double leg calf raise as you get towards walking normally. Uh, maybe not through full range of motion, but if you're going to walk, you should be able to push off two legs, let alone one leg. So I think that usually takes a little more time. Um, but around that time frame, you should be able to do it at some capacity. Yeah, I think, I mean, week eight, at least by week 10, I think you should be able to get a full double leg heel raise all the way up. <clears throat> um, single legs, single legs tough. Uh, I know some, you know, there's some people say they, they want you to be able to do what was 15 or 25 single leg heel raises before you can jog or anything like that. I think that's just so hard to get to. I think that takes, I mean, I think they could be well over six six months well over six months before they can do that so to me if they can do a you know a couple uh even like i feel like six months out sometimes you know you can only yeah. do five five heel single leg heel raises and honestly i'm okay with them starting to jog at that point yeah honestly i don't think you're ever going to be able to get a single leg heel raise until they start running um i i, I don't let a single leg heel raise determine the running aspect of of what i do now also like like you said before you're asking like when do you start doing your sub max like isometrics you, ca you have to read the room here you know if it's a professional athlete or a college or an elite athlete yeah i'm going to start them a bit earlier maybe at even at like three weeks you know starting with my hands on them not doing not having them do any like i don't want them in control i kind of want to be in control but if it's that 65 year old ceo i might probably might wait a little bit longer uh, we're, we were talking about this today in the clinic, and another thing that you, you have to pay very close attention to is the incision. And if, this is, if the incision doesn't look great and, like, you have a fear that there might be an infection, you should really hold off on everything. Because if that infection is that superficial, I mean, the Achilles is, like, right below the skin there. So if there's an infection in the skin, there's a good chance that that, that could be seeping down into uh, the graft. Or, or the repaired Achilles itself. So just be very cautious of that. Pat, you talked about running. What is your, you know, what do you use to be like, all right, I, I'm, I think this person's ready to run at this point. Is it, I'm sure it's just not a time-based thing. I, I'm sure it's, some of it has to do with time, but I know you have measures that you kind of look at. So what are some of the things you look at to say like, all right, we're going to start the running progression for this person? Definitely a double leg heel raise. I mean, obviously, I mean, let's start with time. So no earlier than 14, 15 weeks out. Um, and with that, they need to be able to do a double leg heel raise and be able to shift their weight over and then hold that, that full range that they, that they do have on that one leg. Do they necessarily have to get up there on one leg? No, but they, they have to show me that they can actually hold that tension up there. Do you guys use any kind of, I mean, any of you, I know we use a lot of metrics for knees now, like, you know, 80% of strength and stuff like that. And you guys start to use Se metrics for strength just to kind of see like, all right, you got to be around this area to start to run. Yeah, I, I shoot for 75% of um, plantar flexion seated with the heel um, 
So in a 20 degrees of plantar flexion position, 80% of the other side. Because you're not going to okay. be able, you're not going to, if you, you can't apply the typical running um, return to run things with like the forward step down, because they're not going to have the dorsiflexion to be able to do that. I mean, the way we test it, I know we have the force frame, so it's easy for us yeah. to test plantar flexion on there. But, you know, for people who don't have that, it's like we said before, just using a handheld dynamometer and just making sure they have it before you just start to go on to running, you know, cause you know, any young people that are listening to this podcast, they're not going to have that written down in the quote unquote protocol. They're going to have a time written down. So, I mean, we see it all the time from people where it's like, you know, other therapists will be like, all right, you know, the protocol says 15 weeks and they can start a running program. Hey, Dr. So-and-so, you know, can we go ahead and start it? And they're like, yeah, it's 15 weeks. Go ahead. But I think, more and more we have to kind of move toward that metric pattern to make, make sure that they're really ready to run more than just time is just available. Do you guys have any uh, considerations for the amount of dorsiflexion and then, you know, speaking on running, you know, heel striker, midfoot striker, forefoot striker, do you guys consider that at all? With this? I mean, it seems like it might be a wise consideration, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, how much dorsiflexion do you need if you're, like, a heel striker versus, like, maybe more of a forefoot striker? I have not. Um, I saw that that one real stiff ankle that I was just talking about before actually is a pretty competitive, um, like, age group runner. And she has less than five degrees of dorsiflexion, and she she can run fine. Um, I haven't closely evaluated... Uh, any like runners I'm not talking about basketball players or soccer players because um, they're in cleats and sneakers and they don't we don't look at yeah. like I mean, they yeah, don't, we don't look like heel foot midfoot strikers when it comes to that Jamie I wanted to ask you point, like you see the rest of the people that we see like you know you get that person who's that 65 year old CEO he's three weeks out of Achilles reconstruction, he's like, no, nah, I'm ready to go. You know, you, you, you guys have to treat me like you treat your professional athletes and you know, <clears throat> I, I'm ready to go. I can play next week. And I love that. You know, there, there are a lot of people where I'm like, well, you know, maybe you should work with Jamie, you know, for a couple, you know, just so they can start doing that. But I mean, you've been around the game long enough. It's not like you're going to be like, all right, well let's, you know, go do this and that. So how do you take them through a, like a modified training thing to be like, hey, listen, this is what you have to do right now that your foot's not working the way we need it to. Yeah, I mean, I think the first questions to ask is ask the PT that's treating him of what modifications do you want me to follow first, right? So, um, you know, and depending on how far out they are, you know, are we just going to be sitting in a chair and doing some like upper body work and some core work just to feel like we're, you know, keeping in somewhat decent fitness shape? Um, you know, with that being said, or do they want to get the BFR slapped on, you know, every session and really be treated like a pro athlete? Because that's, you know, it's it's a lot of work, you know. I feel like if you really want to try to get back quicker. But I think, again, with, you know, a 65-year-old versus, like, a young athlete, like, their tissue quality, everything's so different. I think, like, high, high reward, low risk, everything really should be the mindset, um, you know. And when you think you're ready to go back, wait two more weeks. I think it's probably a good a good thought process yeah. to have. Um, you know, again, to like Pat's point too, like very early on, like 
probably don't want to get them sweating like crazy, you know, if they're still healing and things are still, you know, could could potentially catch an infection or something like that, which could be just an absolute disaster. Right. So after all of that, right, you you wanted to, you know, do the arm or or something, get a big sweat going and, you know, it all pulls down in your ankle. But, you know, I think depending on the timeline of where they are, what their strength capacity looks like, you know, and then just modifying movements around what that Achilles can handle, I think is kind of first and last. Yeah. And also I think that, you know, if you have access to a pool or an, or an alter G, you know, you don't just, oh, yeah. if you're in the alter G, it doesn't mean you have to be running. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I put them in there at 50%. And that's how I start working on my, my heel raises, uh, at multiple, uh, you know, a variety of, of positions, either at like push off, you know, two to one, one to one, everything like that. And a pool, I think, has really, you know, we have a pool, so I don't, not a lot of people do. But even if they have a pool on their own, giving them things to do in the pool is uh, a, a very beneficial thing. Can you put the BFR on them while they're in the uh, Alter G? Just have them walk? I don't know. I think you can. <laughs> That's too much for me, though. Yes, you man. can, but it's, it's a whole, lot, yeah. man. One, the tubes have to come 15 out 15 and everything. Just it's walking. Like one modality at a time here. Let's not get through it. Put a laser on them while yeah. they're in there, too. Exactly. Right? Yeah. exactly. Yeah, a whole red light some, laser, yeah. right? Those, some blaze pods, pods while they're doing, <laughs> they're doing that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, reaction time. Yeah. And the, the, the goggles that no. flip on and off. Shut up. Stop talking. Got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. I don't want to hear any of that. Trying to get back. Uh, well, good convo guys. I, I think, you know, I think we'll all agree rehabbing an Achilles takes a while, you know, it's, it's not going to go fast. And, you know, like you guys said, like whatever your time frame is, add two weeks onto it. Cause it usually, usually ends up being that way. But I think we had a pretty good discussion on this, our first foot and ankle podcast that we've been trying to avoid for like half a year now. So, so hot seat questions. Here we go. All right. Terrence just came back from Disney. Favorite ride. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Hands I got, down. I got a Epcot. I got a Guardians of the Galaxy. But follow up question: What is the average price you would tell someone they have to pay to go to Disney? Uh, two like kidneys, two, two, three and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, two kidneys. <laughs> Definitely two kidneys and a newborn. <laughs> Pretty cheap. How Pretty much cheap. blood did you? Talk? I, I think <laughs> plasma. I, this this is definitely the last time I will go there because I will be going to Europe for a month with the family cheaper than Disney World. So here we go. And it would be 140 degrees <laughs> yeah. while I'm eating a $75 hot dog, drinking an $18 Bud Light. But anyway. So, so Pat, fun. question to you. You got three now. When's your first trip to Disney happening? Don't say it's not going to happen because you know what's happening. We went last two years ago. The third, oh, did you? The third, you got no, now, though. I, I, I got just, the third. just canceled my Disney baby. subscription. My baby will not know what you Disney bring is. The baby. He's not allowed to go. No, you know when? You know when? You know when? When my when when my grandparent when their grandparents want to take them, that's when they can go to Disney. That's smart. That's not that's bad. Smart. Billy, hot seat question to you: Is your baby still doing well through this podcast? Because we saw the monitor beforehand. Just want to make sure she's still <laughs> she's still. She hasn't her. moved. Um, and we'll take that as it was that good or bad. <laughs> that might cold. be a good one. I got her on camera. We're doing good. Robbie, Wu Tang Clan, or Notorious B.I.G. Oof, it's a good question. I like that question. Yeah. Um. Well, this was a hard one. Yeah. Man, he's lost. 
How about how many days has it been since that jersey fell on top of your head? <laughs> and also, we're gonna go Biggie, and we're gonna go. It's gotta be what three months. It's been up there strong though ever since. <laughs> that sticky tape. Fo- follow up question: Do you have a shirt on right now? Are you wearing a shirt, or is that just a skin like tone, flesh colored no, T-shirt? Just, I'm just orange. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a. We're going to get a lot of stuff from this podcast. Like, you know, Robbie wasn't wearing a shirt. so My wife was on it. Lululemon has sales. It's always the flesh-colored shirts that are on sale. I buy them. Yeah. Realize that they look like my flesh after I bought them. You can't return them anymore. Jamie, Jamie, last question to you. Were you really sick today going home? I was sick. I was sick. You know I got a sense. Jamie, the tea is still in your hat. (laughs) (laughs) I can see the tea in your hat. You look fine to me, Jamie. It was the first time she had projectile vomit all over me yesterday. Mm. You look yeah, fine, though. Yeah, I mean, well, in two you know, hours, you're you really... When you're as tan as I am... There's a transfusion behind you. I don't know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Next time, take off your golf pole. <laughs> oh, it's polo. Tuesday. It's Tuesday. No you know I get Tuesday. tummy aches. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Skin. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, let's Shut go. this thing down. All right, guys. Shut thanks for listening. Quick. Remember, like, subscribe, write to us, DM us on our Instagram page. Let us know what you want to hear about, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Sports Rehab Lab podcast. Like, rate, and subscribe. And please ask us questions by DMing us on our Instagram page at Sports Rehab Lab.